going on? This is Beer Rap and Banner episode 71 at Beer Rap Bands, Beer Rap and Banner at gmail.com. Myself, Ben English. Myself, Cal Sirius, and we have a very special guest with us today, don't we? Yes, um, we've got someone we... who we know, who've known for a long time, but sorry, go on, Cal, go on. I was going to say, before we introduce our guest, how are you doing yourself right now, my man? Yeah, I'm doing really well, man. Uh, we're continuing... This lockdown, uh, continuing to stay safe, even though the government sort of seems to be uh, easing up on things, we're not we're not adhering to what to what was going on there. So we're staying safe, and hopefully we're providing people with a bit of fun and content on their commute and throughout the week. Uh, we're keeping healthy, so yeah, big up all the listeners, big up all the all the new listeners. Make sure you subscribe, share, and whatnot. Cal, how you been? Yeah, man, subscribe, 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 and uh, I have been just just getting on with things man um you know i think we've discussed before it feels like the new normal right now in quarantine you know uh just be getting on with it and uh, every day is kind of feeling like the same i don't even know what day of the week it is right now yeah every day every day is the day every day is the same day every day is the same day right without further ado um we've got someone who is just taking off his face mask because he realized we won't be filming it's just audio so it might affect the uh, <laughs> it might affect the quality somewhere um, but I'm, I'm guessing he's going for sort of dramatic effects because he's that's his that's his field of work. Um, someone I've known for over 20 years, um, Cal. You've known him for just as long. It's yeah. a very long time, and uh, someone we are very excited to introduce to you, our listeners. Yes, uh, DJ, journalist, uh, theatre lesbian, just all round good guy. Father, husband, son, uh, Matthew Zia, how you doing, brother? I'm very good. It's wonderful to see you after a, a while. I mean, it's been ignore this eight weeks. It's been far too long since I've seen both of your gorgeous faces. So, and I know they don't know that. They don't, you know, there's no audio, and, and so I've taken the mask off. It's only right. Uh, but I am staying alert, staying protected, keeping my eye out for the virus. Uh, but no, it's really good. It's really good to finally. We've been trying to make this happen for a very long time, haven't we? So we have, and 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 through it, it only took a global pandemic to sort of pin you down. So thank you, <laughs> thank, you thank you, China. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't want to sound like Trump. Um, yeah, he just he just tweeted China. Just the China. China with an exclamation mark. Like get out of here. He's the get king of trolls. He's the king of trolls, man. He's you know. He knows what he's doing. He's, he knows what he's doing. But we're going to get into that um, in a bit more detail. But first of all, thank you for sort of being on the show and talking. Um, and, us, you know, you also used to go by the name of DJ Excalibur, if anyone doesn't know. Um, but now you're sort of more involved in the in the world of theatre and whatnot. Um, how have you been getting on with the lockdown? What have you been doing to keep keep busy during these these tough testing times? So um, at the point lockdown happened, I was in a board meeting with the, the trustees for the company that I am the artistic director of. We had a tour out around the nation at that point in time, uh, just as Boris Johnson couldn't work out. He, he knew there was a rule of three, but he couldn't work out what the third one was. So he said, uh, stay away from pubs, clubs, oh, where else do people gather? Theatres. But it was unofficial. It was unofficial, so it was it was on us. No insurance policies could be delivered. You know, it was like we just closed down because the prime minister had instructed people not to come to our places of work, but wasn't compensating us. So suddenly we're in a really tricky position. And then it took another six days before, before it was official. So we pulled the tour, 
uh, we carried on paying everyone that was on the tour because that's the right, good moral thing to do, I believe, and we had the money to be able to do that. Uh, and then we left the office and we came home. Um, I remember saying in like the final meeting as I was talking, so I've got like a small staff team of about four people. And I was saying, what am I meant to do? If I'm an artistic director and I go home, what does an artistic director do if they're not artistically directing? I, I might just go and lay in the garden and become a blade of grass. And then when like, it's like hibernation or something, but then actually you get home, first homeschooling. So what, what are we gonna do with our kid? How do, how do we maintain that first up? Uh, luckily the school in week kind of two or three stepped in and have been amazing and kind of really, you know, saying to you English a little bit before doing kind of uh, dreadful puppet shows, but, but getting the education across, making space for the kids to connect with the teachers and all of that stuff. How critical are you sort of as a parent and then sort of obviously being involved in the arts that you're watching these, uh, these puppet shows and the work from the teachers, you're like, it's good, but I could, I could do better. You need a bit of artistic direction there. I've got notes. I've got notes. <laughs> um, but everyone's been amazing, you know, and this one I'm loving, like the kindness that has come out of this moment and the connection that has come out of this moment has been amazing. Um, but for me, that was a joke about coming home and laying down like a blade of grass. And then I got home and I actually genuinely did not know what to do other than be a blade of grass. So I tried to teach my kid for a bit and that kind of worked. And then I was like, oh, I've also got this company to run and that kind of worked. But it's huge man mainly i was just despondent and unfocused i couldn't read anything uh i couldn't write anything i, I promised i'd write them an article two weeks later i was like stand down stand down i cannot do it i cannot focus on the piece of paper or the screen in front of me i cannot write i cannot generate i've been talking to lots of people and like you know a massive part of my job is to read to find new scripts and to, to find new work and all of that stuff and or to, to read some brilliant book and go ask oh, that can be a thing on stage i just can't read man i like the only thing i can read is stuff that is connected to this moment in time mm -hmm. i'm like fascinated by reading the news and and critical commentary on the, the situation and the circumstance and how it's being dealt with and processed so yeah, I feel like just now in like the eighth week or wherever we are, the ninth week, I'm starting to come out of the funk slowly and be able to read some things and write some things and reach out. So, uh, but it is, it's like, it's trying to run the domestic situation, the company and a school from the same table with people who don't necessarily want to be at that table with you in many cases. And that's mad, you know? Uh, so I'm like, trying to say to my board, go easy, be kind, be nice. Remember, we're not at home. We're not working from home. We are, we are working at home, but we're not just working from home. We're working from home in a pandemic. Our kids aren't at school. Our kids are also at home. They're going through some, some crazy anxiety mental. Health. I don't know how many of these kids are going to have OCD about germs and bacteria and touching things because they're being told, be careful, come, come away from that person. You know, yeah, yeah. Codes that are going into these children. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I am. And then on top of that, I feel this massive um, responsibility as a cultural leader, as an artistic leader who's being paid public money to deliver art, to ensure that the, the, the ecosystem we return to in... Uh... So I'm just waving at someone who's, who's approaching. No, keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Anna, Nicholas is here. 
Sorry, garden guests. Right. Garden no, guests. no, go for it. Go for it. This is this is the live content we need. <laughs> You've got a visitor. It's all fair. It's in the garden. Dominic Cummins, keeping it real. Um, <laughs> remember that heading. But so I feel this resp- this massive responsibility. You can cut that back in, Cal. You're good. <laughs> We're leaving it in. We're leaving it in, man. There's no editing. Fuck that. <laughs> Ain't got time. Um, to protect our industry and and to make sure because there's been massive progression in the last five years. People like me weren't running organizations and institutions five years ago. Yeah. You know, Kwame Kweimar, Roy Alexander Wise, Lynette Linton, all these people, Indu River Singham, running massive buildings and institutions and organizations up and down the country. Uh, Cultural Capital Festival up in Leeds, Kuli Tiari's running that, you know, like we're here now. And what this thing will do, of course, as ever, in times of recession, we shrink down to our smallest selves. And I, so I have to refuse to allow that to happen. I feel responsible for this, you know? Um, so like two days ago, I was hosting a Zoom with Kwame Kweimar, Lynette Linton, Alexander Wise, Amanda, pa- um, Amanda Hutchinson, Huxtable, sorry, um, Selena Thompson, all like black cultural leaders who run institutions or the Black Cultural Archives or... Uh, Ballet Black or the Africa Center and just saying what do we do and we decided to get write this letter very quickly in 24 hours turn it around to the culture secretary saying this is what has happened we know this will hit reset for you guys because you guys don't care when we're not in the room and you don't think about us Mm. and we're not going to allow that to happen so we demand through policy that the diversity that has produced the people like Idris and Cynthia, Cynthia and John Boyega and um, Dev Patel and Gemma Chan and all of these great people who started on British stages, that pipeline has to remain unblocked on the other side of this. But that's, it's killing me, you know? It's like, it's not easy. It's like I put another big, massive thing on the kitchen table. <laughs> I already had the homeschooling and the running the company and the making sure the kitchen table stayed clean and the washing was done and with my partner, I was trying to manage that, of course. And now it's like, oh, of course, you've also got the responsibility as a, whatever you want to call it, I don't use BAME, but leader, leader of colour or somebody who's mixed race, black mixed race, to stand up and say, if we're not at the table, how can we serve our communities after this? Mm-hmm. Currently, we're not at the table. You know, you look at that cultural task force they've put together, yeah. It's got one person of colour in it and as brilliant as she is, she's a football player, an exceptional football player and an exceptional commentator. But what does she know about the industry that I work in? What does she know about the hospitality industry? What does she know about the, the film industry? You know. So, so what do you think would be a better solution to that problem? An alternative task force, a task force that is more representative than the group they currently have fronted by Boris's mate for a process of cronyism and, and you know. So do you like, mean... like, so like Jenny Seeley, right? Jenny Seeley is the woman who directed the Paralympic opening ceremony. That massive thing, right? Very privileged. I was a part of it. Very, yeah. very privileged to be a DJ, part of it. You DJ'd it, didn't you? DJ'd that, that. On my 30th birthday in Stratford, the town I'm from, you know, it's like, that's when I hung up my DJ gloves. That's when I was like, okay, it doesn't get better than this. <laughs> the one after this is a £50 gig in a pub somewhere and I, I'm over it. I'm done. Um, birthday so bookings. <laughs> birthday bookings and bar mitzvahs. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I'm done. No more elbow rooms. It's okay. <laughs> elbow rooms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, play a funky house. 
to to girls who are screaming in my face about whether they can leave their coats in. You know, no more of that. No more of that. <laughs> but that woman who put that together, who is a is a cultural icon and leader, and by the very nature of the process by uh, birth circumstances, also deaf, needs to be at the table. You know, like, as we always know, like the table can't just be white, heteronormative, able-bodied, middle-class, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant males. You know, that's the, that's why we're here now, man. So is it, is it people from different walks of life that we more need on there? Or is it more people from different industries? Or is it a mixture of the two? Well, I think like, I always think of like a good village, you know, and a good village puts its most vulnerable at the centre, knowing that if it's most vulnerable or protected, then it's, everyone else is probably doing okay. You know, like if you haven't, if you can afford to place those people, the most marginalised and vulnerable at the centre, and build from that, the society you will build will be a wholesome, good society. So that's what I'm asking for, I think. I'm saying, who are, who are already the most marginalised voices? Can they please be at the table? Sounds like a reasonable request to me. More than reasonable. Just sort of like, just to, just to veer off on that. So like people from the ends or people that have sort of similar to us or grown up, what would you advise uh, for them wanting to get into your line of work or an aspect of theatre? Uh, it might not necessarily be directing or writing, but just what they, what, you know, what they can expect or just strong words of advice if they don't see others like them on their path. Yeah, so I, I felt really really privileged and lucky to grow up in East London. I mean, I didn't feel, sorry, that's not the sentence. That's massively underprivileged, of course. But part of the privilege within that was having this place called Theatre Royal Stratford East, and I could go to there. And when I walked into that building, I saw people look like me, look like you, look like you, pretending to be people who weren't us. They were playing kings and queens and mayors and governors. And and I went, wow, this is a wonderful world. And it was very accepting of me. Mm. So I think... I can only kind of talk from experience and say, find your local, communal, civic art space that you can be in. Communicate with them, build a relationship with them. Um, and then if you can't do that, spike lead the shit out of it and make your own space, you know? Like, we're, finding, we're finding in the age of TikTok and Instagram videos and, and um, YouTube videos, a lot of people are, are putting together their own content. I mean, Mo Gilligan obviously stands out as at the forefront. He's, his stand-up stuff is brilliant and his sketch stuff is, is really growing and is, is really funny and it's sort of like the next wave of the far show or Harry Enfield and Charms. But uh, the girl that does Face in the News, she does yeah. a lot of sketches and she's really funny. So people are now going past uh, the middlemen or, you know, the, 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 the notorious outlets and they're creating their own hubs. Yeah, you're making me think about like the good old fashioned communism, like who controls the means of production kind of argument, you know? And if actually the platform is there and you control the means of production because you have the technology in an iPhone or a, yep. a, a webcam cow or, you know, some sort of <laughs> technology that you can make things happen with, then you're away, you, you know? That's it. You, you can do it. You, you can get either your, your straight version of Final Cut or your cracked version of, you know, the, the same shit is how hip Shout out to the cracked version. <laughs> bootleg life, bootleg life. <laughs> Hashtag bootleg life. 
That's what I'm saying. But you know what I mean? It's how hip hop happened. It's how hip hop happened and it's how drill happened. It's how grime happened. People started making music on the equipment that was affordable to them and they learned how to game it and make it do the thing they wanted it to do. Um, they couldn't afford the violin and they couldn't afford the piano and they didn't have the space for that equipment and they didn't have the money to, for the lessons to learn it. Mm. So they got a, a weird like bit of computer system that wasn't even meant to do the thing that they ended up doing with it and they made hip hop out of it. Like two record players and they looped up the same. People, like art will out, you know? Art will always out. It will find its way to be there. Definitely. I think we'll see a new wave. I mean, there's a lot of good that's coming of this current situation. Like you said, people are, I mean, the environment's taking a break for one thing. People are appearing to be a lot more friendlier and having time for one another and their neighbours. I know people are saving money and reflecting on what they're doing. So, Fingers crossed the theatre and the creative world will definitely come out stronger and, you know, we survive and we adapt as humans and we've got the internet, which no other generation had or major, you know, issues in the past has ever had. So we can use that to, to push forward. So we support you, support you on that journey. Um, you yeah. said earlier sort of about not reading or wanting to read, but not sort of getting past that mental block because of everything's been going on. Have you been picking up any new skills? I know yeah. Cal and I have been talking in the past few episodes of things we've been doing. Um, I've started to make beats or trying to make beats on Fruit Loops, Fruit Loop FL Studio. It's not called Fruit Loops anymore. I think there was a copyright infringement, but uh, making beats and, and doing some other things. So what you've been doing? Yeah, um, getting back to old hobbies, really. Um couple of new ones, a couple of very random new ones, uh, which has involved the death of, a, of at least two live uh, things. Uh, so, very randomly, my daughter wanted a pet for, <laughs> for her birthday. Her birthday happened in lockdown. And my other half went, okay, we're going to get her a fish. So we got goldfish, right? Safe, safe bet. Yeah, gold, gold. I remember from the, from the fairgrounds, you dump them in a the ting, they either die immediately or they live for years. That's how it works, yeah? So we got these two, I didn't know this, two ridiculously fancy pedigree, highly bred to within an inch of their life, Japanese goldfish. Um, yeah, they died within two days in our very hard Muswell Hillian, hard, hard rock tap water that comes out of our tap. <laughs> so I, me being me, like I spoke to a couple of people, I didn't even know this was a thing about me, but apparently if I get into a thing, I get into a thing, which is I think why I became a DJ and now I'm in doing the theatre thing, you know, it's like, so I'm now like a water professor. I understand the, the component parts of water like nobody else on planet Earth. The pH, the GH, the KH, the nitrates, the nitrites, and the ammonia. And is I there have, fluoride in our water? Uh, there is fluoride in our water. There is uh, chlorine in our water. The water the, when you add particular things to the water, those chemicals change into other things. It's madness. The stuff Should we be drinking it? I think in London, you're probably okay to drink the water from what I know about it, but I wouldn't let a fish breathe it all day long. <laughs> <laughs> we've, um, we've, grown up, we've grown up on tap water. Um, but don't you know, and, and I'm, X, I know you lived in, in Manchester, and I, I used to live in Manchester as well. Uh, so it's different. After, after I graduated, the water up north is a lot different than the water down south and in the water in London in particular. So the you know, and you can definitely taste the difference. Yeah. So, um, so, here's, so I bought, um, so here's what we, what I thought was going to cost me 80 quid at most has now cost closer to 300 pounds uh, because, and you will be able to see this, but I know the people listening won't be able to see this. 
have one of these things. So what he's holding is a... Is that a water... What is it? Like a water purifier? It looks like a jetpack or some sort of ghost. <laughs> it looks like a ghost on back. Yeah. <laughs> it is a, a reverse osmosis uh, dionizing water filter to remove the heavy metals from the water that comes out of our taps. That's mad that expensive. Oh, good for humans. It's good to have a bit of magnesium and iron and sulfur. You know, it's all good. But again, for the fish, not, not so good. So that was one thing. So we now have a Japanese fighting fish in the room next door. It has to live by itself. I also have two nearite snails. Uh, they're zebra snails and they help control the algae and a live eco plant system within the tank. Wow. As I said to my daughter, you got pet fish, I got pet water. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I've been doing, uh, so yeah, definitely got out the, uh, got the machine micro out very early. Nice. Jumped back on that and making a couple of little beats. Okay. Uh, my turntables are on the floor at the moment, so I've, I've been waiting for Ikea or something to open so I can get a desk, so I can get the little hookup set up, so I can start playing some music. Nice. Uh, music has been an absolute godsend for me recently. Uh, the, grabbing the guitar, I'm shit on it, but I touch it and I play with it and I pretend it likes me and I like it and we're friends and we try and see what we can do together. Um, and then, I don't know if you remember this, English, you might, I don't know how you do. Um, I used to do like mind reading and mentalism and magic tricks years and years ago. I remember your magic tricks growing yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I, I did it, it went all right. And I had Dynamo come and do some shows with me and I consulted on his early MTV shows and we remained friends. So I went back to that. I've got like this cupboard here full of magic books and magic stuff and been thinking about building a little act, not for bar mitzvahs and weddings, but for maybe small-scale theatres about time and the mind and the relationship of, of time in the mind and how it changes as we, you know, when we're young, time is expansive and as we get older it contracts and trying to build something around that that's about like illusion and astonishment. And my mum left me a, some, I say left me like she's not here, she is here. Uh, my mum left me recently when she visited <laughs> some tarot cards. Uh, and I'm like, I'm not spiritual, uh, but I am interested in like symbol and meaning and how we infer meaning from symbol and ritual, uh, including religion, I think, actually. I'm now starting to look at religion as symbol and meaning and what that gives humans and all of that stuff. Um, so I started learning the bloody tarot cards, didn't I? And, and just trying to, what do the cards mean when, so I'm like three cards in at the moment. I, I have one card each week and I spend a week with it and I try and think about what it means so that if they come up in a three card spread, if I ever decide to do a three card spread for someone, you know what I mean? It might just be for me. It might, it's not, and that's what I love about all this stuff. It's not like, I, it's not about output. It's about input. Yeah, it's for yourself, yeah. But no, it's fascinating. That, and um, I wasn't quite expecting those answers, but I'm really happy that you've, uh, you're doing something, uh, you know, just different. And this time it's, it's giving people a chance to try something different, to try their hand. And what's going to, you know, what could go wrong? Uh, you know, you, even if you feel like you've wasted your time, you haven't because you've learned something. Yeah. Something else. Um, I think it's fascinating what you've been doing there, Matt. Especially, I thought it was quite interesting what you said about how, you were kind of, you know, not really in the right space to be able to, to do your normal work, um, to be able to read and stuff. So it kind of seems like almost being in lockdown has, you know, it, it has kind of had a bit of a, of, of a mental health kind of effect on a lot of people 
mm. taking them out of their daily routines. And so now people need to do a bit of soul searching and find a way to kind of to become whole. And and you found it, man. You found it through music. And you found it through, you know, just kind of exploring your past and, and going back to doing the magic and stuff. I do kind of remember you running with uh, Dynamo back in the day as well. Yeah. I remember the moment when he blew up and it was just like, wow, this was the guy that was like, you know, X was like playing gigs. And then he would come around to people's tables doing like, yeah, yeah. Did you like, come like, tricks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down in Brick Lane. Yeah, wicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was like to, 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 to see him kind of blow up. I just thought that was amazing, like just guys from around the way that can 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 become that successful, and then to actually see you kind of going back to your roots and, and picking that back up during a time like this, I think that's beautiful. I think that's a great example for anybody else out there as well that might be a little bit stressed out during this time. Mm. I remember Dynamo doing the Dynamo used to do the magic tricks at the back of the club when um, Kung Fu, uh, Kung Fu, and then like all the battle stuff in Manchester. So. Mm. Uh, yeah, shout out to Dynamo. He had a bit of a turn for the worse with his health, but I believe yeah. he's back. So well, he's, uh, he's open and talking about it now. So he's got Crohn's, uh, which just means it's a lifelong yeah. relationship with managing that. You know, it's nice. Well, it. not, no, it's like nice that he's better. Yeah, it's good. Dude's, he's worth, dude's worth about eight million quid. So good on him, man. He's like we'll, we'll get him on the show. We'll get him on the show. Um, we said earlier about sort of your your DJing days and. Uh, I know you and I worked closely together. You recorded and mixed the Attack of the Killer Loops album that we did. I think you even did a beat on there. Yeah, I did that beat sampling someone else's version of a little, I'm not even going to give it away because they might come for us, but a little Burt Bacharach thing. It was a little, you know. It was about drinking. It was a drinking record, I think. Okay. Um, I sampled, I'm, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it away. It was so beautiful. I think we'll be all right. I, I don't think we'll be getting into issues now. Bert's not listening, is he? Um, it was um do you know the way from San do you know the way to San Jose? That can um if people want to look for that somehow is out there. It's uh English Attack of the Killer Loops. I think it's called Get Around. Was it called Get Around? Get around yeah, I get around, get around. And, and we recorded that in Leighton. Um and you had your sort of you've got your, your records in the background. Um we're gonna just drop it in there, sort of top three, top three rappers. Top three selected records. Top three selected. Record. I was going to drop it straight in there. I was going to ask you a few stuff about one extra, but I think I'll start with the top three yeah, records. We can come back right to that. I know, I know um, Thingy's a big favourite of yours, isn't he? Andre 3000. Do, yeah, there you go. That's the, of course, that's number one. That's the number one guy for me, Andre 3000. Outcast are the greatest band of all time. Fuck the Beatles. You sure it's uh, not Amigos? Fuck the Amigos. Amigos trying to come and just rip that shit off, man. It's just like, nah, that's... Man's been there from day. But also, I don't know, like, yeah, the, the rap is fire, but I also love the inner kind of massively alpha male, like, you know, like where posturing is a massive part of it. My man's wearing wigs and dresses and... He's like a peacock. San Francisco, he's a rapping peacock, exactly. And it's beautiful to just be like, I own this. And he's, as far as I know, he's heterosexual. He's got about... 12 kids with someone, some, somewhere. Uh, but it's like, he just owns it, you know? And he says, like, the black man doesn't come in one form, and that's beautiful. And he's rapping. Now to, now to drill down into the rapping? He takes all the best shit that I love about all the best rappers. Like, the wordplay and the complexity of, like, a Faramontra or a Jay-Z and with the syllable stuff, Andre's got that, you know? Andre's got that. The intelligence, he's got that. The self-deprecation, he's got that. The knowledge and the wisdom and the, like historical 
advocacy for blackness. He's got that. Like, and they've been going from time, and they're from the city of blackness, Atlanta. It's like, you know, it's beyond for me. So that's number one. That's number one. I was trying to think who number two is. We can come back to it if you want. I know it's a sort of just drop, drop it randomly in the middle of the episode, but... No, but it's good. It's good. If, if, and also, like, I don't care, you know. Like, I don't feel like there's a wrong answer. I'm always no, like... No, there's no... Whoever I say now is who I feel now. And if you ask me in 20 minutes, you might get a different three people. Um, right, write that down, Cal. We've got more material to stretch it out in 20 <laughs> minutes. We've got... <laughs> we'll ask him again. We'll ask him again in 20 minutes. <laughs> another three. Um, I'm looking back here. Most deaf. I love most deaf. Like nothing else on planet Earth, man. Again, for me, it's like the responsibility of the words, the understanding of the responsibility that comes with the power to speak, you know? And so what he says is articulate and again, occasionally playful, funny. Um, yep. And then, I, do you know who I'm going to say next? And I don't think he's one of my top three rappers, but I've spent nothing but the last three weeks listening to his music. Um, T.Y., the great mm. T.Y., man. I didn't R.I.P. 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 I didn't realize quite what he gave us at the time he was giving it to us, you know. Um, I knew it sounded different, which is why I ended up getting a Mercury nomination. But I didn't know until now, when I listened back to it in 2020, and that came out in whatever, 2004 or five or something, he was like fusing, that was like, that's an early Afrobeat, like not Afrobeat of, of um, Fela Kuti, uh, Afrobeat of, sorry, Femi and Fela Kuti, Afrobeat of um, like the modern generation. He was, with, by mingling the, the bugs in the attic, breakbeat stuff, yeah, yeah. hip hop, he was halfway there to that, he was halfway there, you know, like, wait a minute, um, groovement, wow, the richness. And then again, like for me, posturing masculine thing that hip-hop has massively just turns me off man i'm like take a chill pill you know like get over yourself be you be the authentic you not the mask of who you have to be and mm. ty just cut through to that immediately first album awkward why because i'm awkward i'm an awkward nerdy i don't feel quite i'm big and tall and i used to dance and i love that own that shit man like and like you see jay-z i love of course, I loved 24-year-old Jay-Z, but I massively rate 50-year-old Jay-Z, man. That's like me and my other half talking about Killer Mike earlier today, like just because of what's going on. Did, you see, did you see his speech in Atlanta? Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. What he, yeah, it was mo it was really moving, man. I don't know if you've had a chance to see that yet, but he just got up and spoke about... And he's crying for the first two minutes of it. Yeah, yeah, it was really deep, man. He's such you know? a great speaker. I'm, I'm going to look forward to, to seeing that. Yeah. Again, his raps are just. I'll let you speak. That articulacy comes from hip hop, you know. That articulacy comes from being steeped in hip hop, like we are, like we understand, like we know, like we experience on the streets, but also like we experience in all this music. Do you know how? Do you know how educated we are from having heard all of this music? Do you know what I mean? All of those great articulate thinkers and speakers from Exhibit to Talib Kweli to Most Deaf to CL Smooth to Guru, to, uh, they inform us and they're well-read. They're all well-read and they, they inform us and, and we're well-read. Can't be overlooked, man. You know, it's just like the power of, of that movement 
and what it means and what it is and how it, I feel like that's what's standing on the street now, you know, the street of, of, of Minnesota, Minneapolis. It's like, that's the power on those streets is hip hop right now. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, we got, we got to talk about that now. It's obviously the, uh, the assassination of George Floyd murdered, uh, by a police officer um, who apparently worked with him, apparently knew him. Um, I knew him for 17 years, worked uh, when they did security on, on club doors together. That's ridiculous. That's fucking, makes it even more heartbreaking, man. And then obviously uh, people protesting or, or uh, up in anger, rightfully so, uh, taken to the streets of uh, Minneapolis and I think New York, well, all, lots of states and cities now, yeah, and there's one here tomorrow, you know? There's a, I don't know when this is going out, but whatever day it is, there's one on the 31st of May mm. in Hyde Park in London, in solidarity. Yeah, not in, they want not to be safe. In solidarity, you know, in a solidarity because over 40 people have been murdered here by the police. It's yeah. Same thing. It's, it's mad times, mad times. Um, I mean, this, this, this episode will come out Monday, but uh, whatever people are doing, as always, not only with COVID, but just sort of, there may be interactions with the police or interactions with people that they don't necessarily get on. Just be safe and just maybe, you know, I don't know what to say without sort of, you know. Lots of people are asking me about allyship at the moment. How can I be an ally to the movement that is both geographically and ethnically bound? You know, how can I be an ally to that? And I'm like, shout loudly that you care about what is happening to us. Mm. That is it. The turn up. When we turn up, you turn up. Yeah. When we shout, you shout. And you say... And I, I think as well, sorry to cut you, but I think also for, for, for white people as well, if they hear their family members or friends or neighbours who say untoward shit or racist shit or, or, or bigotry, then it's, it's our position to step in and be like, yeah, you can't I, say I that shit. The deeper levels of that, you know, like it's not just the slurs. This is the problem. White people on the main think that racism is about the slurs as opposed to the daily grind mm, mm. being followed around the shop, not seeing black dolls represented yeah, when you yeah. buy a doll for your child. It's the more insidious structural stuff that is much harder to unweave and unpick than someone called me That's this cool and I was offended. You know, the institutionalised racism of, yeah. of the society and the police force and the... Yeah. education system. Uh, we did quite a lot with that back with uh, Daryl Blake. Big up Daryl Blake. Keep referencing him. He did a lot of work uh, with that. That's another episode. People can go and check it out. But um, I mean, thoughts on Trump's tweet as well, saying, you know, uh, I know Twitter, took, uh, Twitter was hit, uh, had hidden one of Trump's tweets uh, behind the warning that it glorifies violence, escalating the social media companies wrote, wrote a row with the US president saying when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Um, that was a crazy tweet, man. I can't believe he tweeted that. <sighs> but, yeah, you know, I remember saying it earlier. He, what do you call him? The, the, or was it Cal? One of you said the greatest troll. He's like... Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. He's... I mean, that's clearly going to like, you know, going to rile people up. And, you know, for someone who is the leader of a whole nation, the most powerful nation in the world, you'd think a man could show a little bit more tact. But he, I think he is showing tact. I think he thinks he's showing tact in ensuring that there is a diversion from the current issue 
which is COVID-19 and yeah. his failure to lead effectively with regard to that health crisis. Mm. So if there's a massive fire in some some backwater state, you know, like what's his concern about? And this is the same with here, you know, like it's herd immunity through eugenics. They don't care if we die. They don't care if they lose 20% of the population, if that 20% of the population comes from the, the, the group who has always been seen as cannon fodder. Mm. That's why they're telling us to go back to work. That's why they're telling you to go back to school. That's, you know? Yeah, yeah even against all the advice, uh, you know, and, and the scientific research that it's too early. And there's new cases every day, like 8,000 or so new cases. And, and, and who... about this? Because it's so systematic, you know? Like, yeah. the establishment control... I'm going to go off on... I'm not David Icke. I hate David Icke. I completely hate David Icke. I'm going to go off and sound like a conspiracy theorist. But the establishment control in every single aspect of our lives is so deep-rooted and deep-seated that it feels impossible to overturn, you know? Someone said, like, um, how was George Orwell so wonderfully writing about now? I'm like, he wasn't. He was writing about then, and the same shit was happening then. Yeah. And he called it 1984 to take it to some sort of totalitarian peak. But it, he was just going, this is happening now. And if we don't control this, it will be worse. And they'll have more control of technology and data and people and issues. And, and that's just happened all the way through. It's like, you know, these, like a, a dead black man on the streets of a city in America is just another, unfortunately, just another example of the bullshit. It's like, on it goes. On it, how do we... It's like the civil rights movement didn't happen. It's like, it feels, I'm feeling like it's too large at the moment, you know, to hold, to like do anything about, to, to control. Wow, you can send the National Guard in. We can protest, we can protest and you can send the National Guard in and you're now arresting and shooting at journalists. You see that? They arrested the CNN uh, journalist and the cameraman for, for supposedly not moving, even though they quite clearly stated a number of times, we're just doing our job. Tell us where you'd like us to stand and we shall go. You know, we're not, we're not here to cause any issues. Happy to cooperate. And they shift them and then let them go. I mean, you know, this shift them and camera and... And then the, the post-truth excuse was something like, once we had confirmed they were members of the media, we'd let them go. <laughs> Man, I have never oh seen life. a reporter be arrested on the camera before. And that is that is a, a stonewall example of what you were just saying, Matt, like how modern society has kind of become like an Orwellian nightmare. You know? Yeah. Something like something that should really be fictional, but it's it's not. It's 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 like our actual reality. Yeah. Imagine if you wrote in your you're writing a book and you're like, and then the police start shooting at the journalists. You'd be like, nah, I've got to pull it back a bit. I've got to pull that back a bit. And they're not going to believe this. And they were shooting a white female journalist. It's like the, the gloves are off. The rules are gone, you know? We wait and see. We wait and see what happens. May, I don't know. Maybe, you know, the civil rights, you know, with the civil rights movement or other movements, there was a mix of peaceful protest and extreme action. It'll be interesting to see what happens and how it unfolds. We don't want people burning things down or their own property, like the Killer Mike 
speech that he gave, he was saying to people, you know, you don't burn down your own property. You don't burn down where you live. If anything, you're opposite. You sleep on it. You think of a plan and then you attack. When you're angry. Yeah. And when you, what do you do with rage? You know, that's what you do with like anger. What, you, what you're talking about is what you do with anger once it's subsumed, once it's calmed down from the point where it's rage. And at the point where it's rage, as we all know, I think we want to break stuff, you know? Like, I've thrown my own phone on the floor. Of course I have, you know? Like, ah, blah, blah. That's my own phone. It's going to cost me, nowadays, 800 quid to get a new one tomorrow. <laughs> going to have to mortgage, remortgage my house, you know? It's like, <laughs> what do you do with rage? And when it's societal and not individual... I don't know what telling people not to burn down things. I like, I get it. I, what it's lovely, and, but it, is it is it anything but a platitude? You know, like it's wonderful advice and good counsel. Mm. But when the, when the silverback gorilla is shaking a tree, you got to wait for the tree to stop shaking before you say, "Okay, how are we going to rebuild the forest?" You know, it's like real well put, real well put. Um, and then we got like Dominic Cummings. Uh, are we shocked that he's sort of been let off the lead? You know, um, nothing's going to happen with him. He's uh, he's indispensable, sort of. Boris Johnson can't get rid of him, needs him. He's got something on him, hasn't he? He's got something on him. <laughs> got something on Boris. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's either got information about what, what went on with Russia and Brexit, or he's got information about Cambridge Analytica, or something. There is some reason that Boris cannot get rid of that man who is massively tarnishing his own reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the thing because Vinny's party is sort of stepping down now. The thing I want to I want to find out from you guys, your opinions is, if you were in his situation, what would you have done? Because he's a man who is, who is seemingly acting in the interest of trying to find a way so what, for, for those that don't know what, what George Orwell is he's a, he's a politician I forget his actual role actually um, but he's a politician in the government and uh, I think he's the one that actually came up with the social distancing measures in the first place and, and the whole lockdown rules and he's kind of violated his own rules by getting in his car and driving about 200 miles all the way up to Durham like 270 miles <laughs> jeez and um so the reason he did that is because uh, I believe it was his wife that was infected with COVID-19 and his son was with them. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to get some kind of health care for the child or someone to look after the child. And no, no, but I believe the child has autism as well or is on okay. the spectrum, okay. whatever is the, the best way of describing that. So the only thing he could think to do was, OK, family, let's go and move closer to family uh, to my elderly members, help look after. To my elderly, vulnerable members of family. Live <laughs> <laughs> halfway what, across the country. Yeah. What do you guys think would have been a more sensible thing for him to do? Stay I'm at not, home. I've not seen my mum in four months. Mm. I've not yeah. seen my mum in four months. People have died, and I've not been able to go to their funerals. Yeah. My daughter has not seen anybody. Go fuck yourself, Dominic Cummins. You know, like seriously, seriously, and then that pantomime bullshit on TV the other day. Mm. So, so many things were wrong with that. You could see his anger. You could see him like fuming with people, you know, furious at being asked to explain why he of the privileged class could do things that we, the underclass, could not do. You know, it's like, 
go fuck yourself. Did you see him getting heckled as he walked through um, through street by his own neighbours? Yeah, yeah. They were light. I think, you know, they thought they were going to stick it to him even more constantly. Um, let's, not, let's not forget that this is the man who orchestrated Brexit. This is the man who was a massive part of the Cambridge Analytica, massively problematic, distrustful, stealing of, of data and manipulation of data to target people, to force a, a referendum and then an election to go in a particular way. The man is a criminal from the start. You know he should have stayed put. He shouldn't, you know, or, or, you know, desperate measures. You ask people nearby if he had family nearby or you just stick it out. Like X is saying, you know, we've seen people uh, buried. I've had to watch a video stream of my friend's dad being buried. You can't go there. You can't see your family members. Um, he, he, he's in a more privileged position than, than all of us financially and sort of his position in life. So he shouldn't have gone that. He shouldn't have done that, man. He, you know, and he needs to be. He needs to step down. He needs to be sacked um, or, or resign. When he got exactly, exactly, and when he got to Durham, he then drove another thirty miles to, to test his eyesight. <laughs> eyesight was okay. I am looking forward to using these bars in life going forward on anything. You know, excuse like, me, officer. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I'm just testing my lungs. Are okay, officer? Go fuck yourself. Like, um, Right, right. Let's let's keep it like that. Right, talking about testing lungs. Um, just on a mu- <laughs> just on a music vibe. Did you? I don't know if you've seen any of these verses battles. Um, mm-hmm. Swiss Beats and I think Timberland have combined. Uh, Erica Badu and Jill Scott. Jill Scott, yeah, Jill and Erica Badu. Yeah, the One Twelve and Jagged Edge, which and the Nelly and um, Ludacris, which weren't as great. But most recently, the one which. Hold on, one more, one more, before you go to the best one. Uh, Babyface and Teddy Riley. Yeah, Ooh, part two. I didn't see part that two. One. Not part one, part two. <laughs> <laughs> now, it seems that all of those, they're, they're, they're great conversations and they're sort of classic pub pub talk or barbershop talk. Who would win in a clash between DJ Premier and Rizal? Who would win in a clash between, or who do you like more between Erica and um, Jill Scott? Uh but trust, it had to be from the capital of clashing, the Come sound. The capital, s- of culture. capital of capital culture. Capital of culture. Come on. They even had the national anthem playing at the beginning. Oh, that was epic as well. To kickstart the war. Uh, I hope you were about to say Bounty Killer and Beanie Man. I was, yeah. Oh, thank you. you know, what, <laughs> what do you think I was going to say? What do you think I was going to say? I can't imagine anything else. I can't imagine anything else. So I'm like, if he doesn't say that, Imagine if, if I missed some clash that happened on the no, Isle of Wight. No, 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 no. <laughs> this, we, we can all agree, whether we watched it live or whether we uh, watched it the next day on YouTube or we saw it can on social media. Please turn up. Please come. Wow. And it, <laughs> you don't want to be that man, officer. You don't want to be that person. Because <laughs> there's, there's 55,000 people watching. I love that. <laughs> this is Break That Down, the power of the internet. Oh, the, the, first and foremost, the, a legend talking to you so officer beanie man the interaction there's half a million people 300,000 half a million people watching it officer if you come onto the live you can forget it you're going to be you know you're going to close the sound off for a bit but you will be forever etched in people's memories as the man that that ruined the clash but you just sort of talk about breathing and whatnot but just just wow I I don't know what you guys thoughts were on it but just just took it to another level I was concerned about the social distancing. 
<laughs> Wasn't much of that going on. There was no name. I'm hugging up, looking in the camera. I was like, nah, you guys need to just two meters, please. So, someone uh, said someone said it looked like they were sharing the same suit. <laughs> <laughs> he had the trousers and he had the pants, you know, or he had the top, you know, it's like they had <laughs> And Beanie Man was doing it for the big belly uncles out there, with, or the dads, because yeah, yeah. he had the dad body, he had the big belly tucked in. But, um, yeah, they, they were going hard, man. They were going ham. Yeah. No, I thought it was beautiful. I, like, oh, God, how much do you want to talk about here? It was an you know amazing display is, of brotherhood. Do you know what this thing is like? So, of course, my father's Jamaican. and and But we're not particularly tight. I'm much tighter with my siblings and my cousins and other people. But that thing just like, vroom, just went vroom to me, you know, like, and I remember listening to music from being a kid in smoky bedrooms and all of that stuff. And just, it, it just, this is what I mean about music, man. Music has, and culture and art and output and input has been a thing that is getting everyone through this time. Mm. Honestly, whether you're baking sourdough or making a macrame bag or making a beat or listening to some old Stevie Wonder banger or watching the verses, you know, it's like cultural output is the thing that is keeping us as close to sanity as we can possibly be right now. Mm-hmm. So now, man, I felt empowered by that. I felt so empowered by seeing that clash. And all of them, all of them. I love that there's not been animosity. They've not been, they're clashes, but they're not fiery. You know, they're like, they're full of love. They're like, okay, oh, is that what you're playing now? Is that what you're playing now? All right, all right. I didn't think you were going to play that so early. I thought you were going to say that at least for hour two. I'm going to come for you. Okay, what have I got? And then they come back with some banger and you're like, yeah. And it's like full of love and celebration. Did you see the, um, the Google advert that came out over like around the Christmas period? Which was about, it was about black culture. It was all oh, about yeah, the yeah. most searched for things. Yeah. It was like the, they held the words on the screen that said the most searched for or the most Googled. I think they yeah, probably... Yeah, I remember played. that, yeah. Uh, and then they filled in the verb. The most Googled life performance, the most Googled sporting event, the most Googled goal scorer, the most Googled mathematician, the most Googled astronaut, the most Googled... And every single human being had some African DNA fully up inside them. Every single one. And it's like, yeah, it's a particular time. So now to, to try and tie some sort of knot in what we're talking about, to go back to George Floyd, how dare they, you know? Like, how dare they for our contribution to this planet mm. continually put their foot and their knee upon our neck is crazy. Sorry, sorry to loop it round. In no, 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 no. You know what I mean? When we give so much and still the slap in the face keeps coming. Do you know what I loved about the Killer Mike thing? It was very subtle. It wasn't very subtle at all. My other half who works in TV said they can't edit that out. But because he was filmed from chest up on his top left shoulder, he had the words... It was a kill your master. Kill your master. That's like his motto, isn't it? And I think about Audrey Lord, you know, her book that was published, uh, your ma- the tools, whatever it is, the tools that built your master's house will not defend you. I can't, it's not that, is it? It's that you can't use your master's tools, you know? Like, you've got to find some different tools to, to work with. 
I like how passionate you are on the subject, though, because it is that kind of a time where we've kind of been knocked sideways with the death of George Floyd and, and, it, and it will just creep up in. There'll be so many different things you experience and that will just come back around and you'll think, you see? And, and it's like a knock-on effect, like a domino effect. With, yeah. with, with, why, with does it have to be, um, why does it have to be seasonal, you know? Why does, why does giving a shit about black people have to be seasonal? Why does giving a shit about the disabled have to be seasonal? Why do we need to be... Feel the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel the time. <laughs> it's like celebrating Black History Month in schools. Um, yeah. If it happens, um, when, during the month that it does happen, why is it not celebrated through literature, science, maths throughout the year? Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. It should, you know, it's, 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 it's normal, you know. I don't agree with it. You know, our industry massively kind of acknowledges Black History Month, um, like the, the live entertainment sector. Uh, and I'm not in it, man, because I'm like, I'm doing that shit all year round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about as many people as possible all year round. There's not special a special month. Because even blackness, you know, it's a massively problematic issue. Like, it's a term applied to a continent when some strangers turned up and went, well, these guys are black. <laughs> Ignoring the massively tribal disputes, histories, connections, lack of connections, dissonance, harmony that had happened in that continent for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. Like, it's like back to the BAME thing. Like, remember when they tried to make BAME, B-A-M-E-R? So, and that was refugee. So really? Like, yeah. So you could, be, you could be fleeing war in Syria, being a doctor or a pauper, and yet you are grouped as soon as you arrive here with the black son of a professor who went to Eton, you know? Like, Ridiculous. it's so evident that what they are saying is, you lot and us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just against that bullshit, man. I'm all for specificity of individuality and story. Yeah. So is that sort of just going back to your your, your role in the theatre, sort of what's what have you liked about directing? Um, so, yeah, what have you enjoyed about directing other people or picking up uh, books or, or stories and then putting them into to plays and, and putting them out for the masses? What have you enjoyed about doing that? Like for me, it's exactly the same as I'm, I'm serving the same role that I did on One Extra and that I did in the club. There is nothing different. I was never playing Puff Daddy. I was never playing, I can't imagine some other more jiggy shit, but I don't know, <laughs> Trick Daddy, uh, you know. I was never, Trick I wasn't Daddy, fucking hell, that's, a, that's I a... I wasn't playing any of the daddies, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was never playing the jiggy shit, right? I was always playing the conscientious, conscious, woke... Dead prayers. Black star. Think about the world, right? So, yeah, yeah. I always felt like my job was um, facilitator, arbiter. I, I find the, the people who have the stories and I present the people who have the stories to the people who want to hear the stories or need to hear the stories. And my job hasn't changed. I did it in music and now I'm doing it in theatre. And I'm not looking for different stories. I'm looking for the same stories. I'm looking for the stories of the marginalised and the oppressed and the vulnerable and I'm saying, let's amplify your voice. Here's a stage, here's a platform, here's a radio station, here's a piece of wax, here's a tape cassette. Let's multiply and amplify yeah. your voice and get it out there. And like, it's, this is bullshit and it's gonna sound arrogant, 
and shouldn't, but maybe should. I've watched other people say I'm arrogant with this and it's good. Um, that's, that's the hip hop in you, man. Let's go. Let's go. It's the shaman. It's the shaman. It's the shamanic figure. It's the center of the leader of the cultural experience that is uplifting, conscious raising, and transformative. Be that in a club, be that in a theater. Come and have a transformative experience. In a theater, I have, in, sorry, in the club, I have to do it live. So I'm relying on knowing what this library of material is mm. and reading the room as we move across a two hour period to take you on a particular journey. In a theater, I get six months to work with a designer and to read the play and to find the writer. And then I get four weeks to rehearse it and make it proper. And then I get a week to tweak it live in the room. You know, it's like watching an audience respond to it. And you'll have an audience, an audience who are cooperatively going there to see that uh, and spend the money in support. Whereas if you go, when you're playing at a club or a radio, you had people be like, oh, why aren't you playing that jiggy shit? Why aren't you, you know, why can't you play this? Are you playing this? So it's, it's you know, you've got to think on your feet a lot more. Yeah, and I think that informs the other, you know, like one informs like, well, what would they yeah. think if we weren't here at this point? What does that do to the energy in the room, the collective energy we're trying to build? And I've always loved, like, when I was like, either the last set in a club or that smell in an auditorium after the show. And it's not, a, it's not, a, it's a physical smell of like, people have been here. There's like That's an sweaty smell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stinky smell. Weed, 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 BO and cigarettes, I think is the smell you're looking for. There's that, right? But there's also like, something went down here. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well. There's also like, a thing Definitely. happened here. Nice. And that's um, what I'm always chasing, man. So if you sort of like, maybe up and coming, or if you could direct any adaptation of a film or book, uh, what would it be? What's one sort of piece of text or, or, or a story that you've, over the years you thought, wow, when I, get my, when I get the facilities together, I wish I could produce that, I wish I could direct that. Is there anything that sort of springs to mind? Because I remember you doing The Warriors. I was going to say. Maybe, yeah. Do you remember, because you asked me and some others to record uh, yeah. uh, like guides, yeah. record guides for the actors to yeah. use and I thought oh this is going to be amazing like a hip hop version of the Warriors but I don't think it ever materialised but no and I'll tell you why it didn't materialise uh, institutional racism of course oh. so the feedback I got right and I don't want to talk about it too much because it's still kind of a live project yeah yeah it was let's just say it was entirely wrapped through the whole it was an opera essentially in which every song was a rap song or, or an R&B or a grime or a hip hop, but it came from our world. It was that music. Yeah. Um, and we put it on stage at the Barbican in a showcase form. Here's the story. Here are the songs. Here's the music. And people said things like, I don't really understand what they're saying. Oh, they move very quickly, don't they? Uh, and I'm like, but you understand Shakespeare. And I don't understand Shakespeare. You know, I have to sit back and read it and go home and come. I have to come knowing the story to be able to follow the story. So it's like, maybe what you need to understand, gatekeeping power holders, is that the audience you're talking to, there's, an, there's a whole other audience who completely understand everything in this, everything, and it's their language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's to them. It's like, so yeah, we're still talking about that. Uh, I constantly just watch ideas I have be picked up by people who have more status and more money and can move quicker and faster. You know, like, so for example, uh, 
I don't know if you've seen the film or read the book. They shoot horses, don't they? Is an amazing film. If you haven't seen it, everyone should see it. Cult Let film. me add it to the list. Let me add it to the yeah. ever-growing list of uh, COVID nineteen films I need to watch. They shoot horses. Yeah, early seventies, which we all know, all the seventies stuff is good, or late sixties, and that's when stuff starts to get good. Um, so <laughs> it's like that period. And what it's about? It's about the depression in the they they transplant it onto the whatever time period they're making it in. So the seventies, but in the Great Depression there were these like dance competitions where working class people would come and it was like uh, dance marathons. So it was how long you can dance. Nice. And they had a bed and there was a bed and every 10, every 30 minutes they could go and sit on the bed for five minutes and then they had to come back and keep dancing for another 30 minutes and people died. And it's like, so I had this idea that this play essentially, or this story what it is about, because there's also like the chase for celebrity. It's always, there's like people coming and sponsoring people and stuff. Um, it's like X Factor meets food banks, you know? Mm, mm. The, hunt, the desperate hunt for fame and celebrity meets the desperate other end of the spectrum, which is poverty and necessity. The level, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's the world we live in now. Let's put this story on now. And I, I spent four years talking to a bunch of different theatres about it, and no one wanted to hear me. And now Marianne Elliott, brilliant Marianne Elliott, who has two shows in the West End at any time, is doing They Shoot Horses, don't they, in the West End? Stole your idea. Not stole your idea, but just... Had my idea, but has more... I had the same idea and has more access, power, weight, status. It's like that classic classic Kanye West lyric where he goes, um, he he told Jay about making a song with Coldplay. Next thing I know, he made a song with Coldplay. And it's just like... Like, Shit happens, man. Yeah, it but, does. But it one does. show that you did uh, put on, uh, Matt, was a uh, blue and orange, blue orange at the yeah. Old Vic. I forget if it was the Old Vic or the Young Vic. Young Vic. The Young Vic. Um, so so I, I went down to that show um, with a date at the time, and I thought it was absolutely amazing. Um, can you tell me what your involvement was in putting that show together? Uh, Commander-in-chief, essentially. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I like that. I directed it, I picked the play, I cast the play, I picked the actors, I picked the design team, I picked the lighting designer, the set designer, the sound designer. And then like in any production, my point is to be the figurehead and to have the to have the vision and try and get as close to the vision, knowing that what you are working with is personalities and people and opinions. And so it's gonna be a journey of compromise and uh, facility to arrive at that piece of work. So we started talking about things like, you know, it doesn't feel fair to invite a theatrical audience who I know is going to be majority white because of the country we live in, uh, to come and watch this black man have a breakdown on stage. It is an act of voyeurism. How can I empower people to feel respectful in that act of voyeurism? Oh, I know. Why don't we build underneath the stage an absolute replica of the consultation room at the end of the play. And as we funnel the audience through that space at the start of the play, it becomes a bit of a sheet dip for them. So they are institutionalized. They become Christopher. They become the victim in that story. They get a sense of it briefly. And then this is a really cheeky thing. As you come out of the door from that weird space we built to find the stage, you get really disoriented. So even if you've been to the young bit before, you've got like, four different staircases to navigate. 
Mm. And then you arrive back in, looking at the space that you've just walked through. This is a bit complicated, yeah. But without walls, right? So you feel a little bit crazy. That was the you idea. Did you experience this, Cal, in your day? Um, I, I, I didn't experience feeling a little bit crazy, but I did kind of get a little bit disoriented with, like, you know, there's so many different entry points and, oh, which way do I go? And, and, and things looking very similar. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, I think, yeah, that some of the desired effect definitely uh, rubbed off on me there, yeah. and it, w- it was a powerful experience walking through that the kind of set under the the stage as, as Matt was explaining there as well, and just the the actual concept of the 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 thing that I think stuck with me the most was the two completely different philosophies of the kind of old school doctor and the new school kind of uh, medical practitioner and how one was kind of like, we need to really kind of help this man get over whatever problem he has. And the other one's like, oh, he's fine. Don't worry True. about it. He's fine. It was just like, what, is, does that really happen? Cause you know, if you're someone that's not really well uh, versed in psychology and what actually happens in this kind of arena, that thing would blow your mind, man. You would think everyone's working off of the same song sheet. But yeah. according to that story in Blue Vic, maybe they aren't, man. No, well, that's it. And, you know, absolute privilege. Daniel Kaluuya, of course, played Christopher in that play for, for me and the young Vic. Um, and he'd just come off of shooting Get Out. He'd just finished shooting Get Out. So he came with his, like, racial sensitivity antenna fully up, fully extended with big boosters on the end of him, you know, like, ready to pick up anything and it's a play about I think ultimately like when we cry is it because I am black that this is happening to me how can we as people who are black heritage or black distinguish between what is paranoia and what is actual racism like it's so woven into the fabric of our society that I don't I can't tell anymore if you, if you have a thing against me, whoever you are, human being on earth, be it that you think I've pushed in front of you on a bus or not, or whatever, I can't tell if it's because you're a Nazi or you, because the, the lines have become so blurred now, you know? And so that's what Blue Orange did. He, he had gone insane because of his life circumstances, which were massively racial. I just love that you... I love putting arguments on the stage, you know? I get to put arguments on the stage, and that's exciting. No, I, I love that you could, you could bring that kind of a story to an audience. Because uh, the lady I was with, she's like, you know, she's like a middle-class conservative voter, um, middle management in the company that I was working at at the time. And she'd never seen anything like that, you know what I mean? It was, it was so powerful. So even if she was the only person in the audience that that would have had an effect on... I'm all, about, I'm all about the conversation in the bar, you know? I'm all about the conversation that happens in the bar afterwards. Yeah. It's a provocation. Wicked. No, that's, that's wicked, man. Well, yeah. Um, shame I missed it. <laughs> uh, well, if we ever get to sit in, in space together, I have a copy, but I cannot share it publicly. No, that's right. Well, you know, we, we, we're, due for a, we're due for a proper catch-up with a drink. How are we looking for time, Cal? I well, just appreciate that sort of X has given us a lot of his time and the, and the sun's out. We, we were going to cover some music, but time-wise, have you been listening to any new music, um, Matthew, since... Uh, it feels weird calling you Matthew, seeing as I've known you as... Um, I think only your mum called you Matthew growing up, but... I mean, that was it back in the day, yeah. I called you X. I X have a music. Any new um, music? 
I'm like scrolling across now to to look at my iTunes or my whatever whatever it's called the Apple Music thing because that would tell me what I've been listening to more than I can remember. Um, like no, mainly I've been reminiscing. If I'm honest, I've been like going backwards. Uh, I've, okay, so this is big, the brand new Rodney P. Clashcloth Scorsese track. Mm. But of course, it's only big because for me that means so much about the period that I felt like an instrumental part of. Um, no, nah, man, like, it's weird. I think that thing might have happened. You know, that thing that's not meant to happen where the music that you were into at the age of 30 and everything that came before is what freezes. So, like, I found myself massively enjoying Will Smith's verse on the, on the Jonah Lucas remix. Did Yeah. Like, I found myself being like, do you know what? This is part of our history. This is part of our bigger picture. I mean, we may throw him under the bus for, like, commerciality, but that commerciality in 1992 was really important, you know? Yeah. It's like... So you like the verse more for what it brought to the table now, mixing someone like John Lucas and Will Smith, and the fact that he jumped on an established... Uh, oh, there's all types of things going on here. An established... So I don't want to call him underground artist, but sort of uh, an alternative... For me, it's about the it's the web, isn't it? It's like the web that connects all of us ultimately, and what that is. Cal's just gone like super HD. What's going on there? He looks like fully, fully full. It's like a, it's like a little bright <laughs> going under the bottom, man. I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> um, maybe because there's so much music. I mean, you're busy, obviously, with work, family, and everything going on. And there's such an onslaught of music now all the time. It's hard. We always say this on the yeah. show. I remember when I could walk down to Dilrill and Mr. Bongo's, there was a point where I thought I could clock hip hop, you know, like I thought I could have every essential record. And I kind of feel like up to 2005, 2006, maybe I kind of almost clocked hip hop and I've almost got every essential record, but not all of them, some on CD, some elsewhere. But then you just realize it's not possible. And I tried to do that with theater. I was like, I can clock every great play. Nah, man, people are writing plays every day. People are writing songs yeah. every day. Like, and, and then the argument, it's essential, but to whom? Yeah, exactly. Which is a massive one. So your, your, your playlist, it's all about playlists nowadays is the trendy thing or whatever. And so your, your playlist will be different to mine or to be different to cows. And, and that's beautiful, right? That's curatorial and specific and bespoke. Thank you. Well, I do like a, I do like a, I do like a playlist or two during a dinner party, you know, or... I play a game called uh, like it's sort of like a playlist roulette where you've got a theme. So the theme could be a color, or the theme could be a a, a city, and you've got to play a record with that in the song title, and then it goes around, and then yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. You have it. Um, <laughs> I'll give that, give that to you. <laughs> um, I'd love to know how many records have you actually got there, Matt? Because we can you got any see a sample of the collection in the background there. Any doubles you want to sell? Yeah. Hold on, let's, just, let's ignore the messy bed. But over there, there's two of them old school. If I move the the tank of dioxinated water, <laughs> nine hundred um, pound bottle, tub of water he's got there. The waste that comes off this water. That's about, that's about 70, no, hold on, that's 60, 140. That's about 140 records per box there. That's and 140 then, by the bed for those who can't in, uh, see this, which is... 140 times two, 140 times two. Uh, Go on, thank you, teacher. Uh, and then <laughs> each one of these boxes holds about 80. So that's one, two, three, four, five. 80 times five. 40. 
Like, yeah, 40. 80, 80 times 400. five. Oh, sorry, 400. Big pun. 80, yeah, 400, right? So that's 400 times 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 400 times 5. 2,000. Is it? No. I've had a drink. I'm going to leave you to it. I can't. <laughs> Everyone's drinking. It's not on records. That's the thing. 2,000 records. 2,000 records. 2,000. Yeah, sorry, Carl, just because you said that. Is this a maths lesson or what? I thought fucking up. <laughs> <laughs> you think Scalabar has 7,000 records, but when he moved from Manchester to London, <laughs> he has to leave at least 2,000 behind. How many does he have now? Oh, no, you left 2,000 behind. That's what I wanted to get to. Yeah, I've thrown <laughs> out so many vinyl and so many CDs. Gone, gone, gone. It's a digital age, man. It's a That's digital painful. age. That's very painful. I've still got mad. Um, Some was pleasurable when R. Kelly shit happened. I'd bash that quickly. quickly. Oh, wow. Uh, I, so what, can you like not listen to R. Kelly anymore? No, I cannot. I cannot listen to R. Kelly, mm. which is weird because I can listen to Michael Jackson. Ooh. Can you listen to Chris Brown? Uh, I, I, I put one song on the other day and me and my other half had an argument so I'm just not going to listen to Chris Brown anymore yeah, See, this, and, it, and this goes back to sort of the cancel culture and who determines who gets cancelled and you know on one side you can be and you know I mean R. Kelly and Michael Jackson we don't condone and but Chris Brown's actions we don't condone yet their music will be lauded well Chris Brown's music will be lauded but um, yeah a lot of music it's, talk it's a very individual thing don't you think Ben? Because, uh, you know, some people will kind of say you should be able to separate the man from the music. And, you know, whenever Michael Jackson or R. Kelly comes on, they still vibe to it. And some people are just like, no, no. Well, Done. same for... My question with that is, what if the art is the music? Yeah. What if, what if the crime yeah. is the art, you know? Like, so I feel like with R. Kelly... R. Kelly stuff, yeah. talking about the crime quite a lot of the time. Whereas you know Jackson, which one messed me up? That when, Because um, obviously R. Kelly used to write for Aaliyah. And yeah. when, when after everything came out and then I, I went back and I realised that that song, Age Ain't Nothing But A Number, yeah. is literally like... That's grooming. Um, grooming, coercing a young child into believing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's crazy. Isn't it? it's deep, it's deep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my favourite R. Kelly song, and, and Shoot Me Down, was Happy People, man. I love that song. It felt good in my soul. Happy people. Oh, that's a ti- that was a timeless record. but And then you realise the reason he released that record was good PR with the black community in America who were playing at the cookouts and the barbecues and the weddings and the, and the christenings and the baptisms. So he was like, let me, let me appeal to my audience who will look after me during this mm-hmm. period where I'm being accused of this thing. Where I don't feel like Michael Jackson... If I listen to Jackson 5, or even Bad, or Dangerous, which is where I kind of clocked out, you know, uh, I don't feel like I'm doing too much. I don't feel like I'm buying too much into the, that world of stuff that happened after, yeah. after then, around that time. But also, he's not singing about that. Touching little kids, yeah. 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 Okay. Sort of um, stuff. Just, yeah, just, just quickly Deep. then, we'll just do a quick music wrap-up uh, of... Go been going on i spoke to you cal the other day jo- uh, joel ortiz and king crooked dropped a project and i think heat makers did a lot of beats on the on the project and they are two members from uh, slaughterhouse so if you want to get your rapidly rap rap involved and your backpack rap and your your lyrical miracle then definitely check out joey Ar- joel ortiz and king crooked there was a nice beat from eric sermon on that project as well eric sermon is definitely one of my favorites of all time um 
who you know who kind of crafted that funky EPMD sound, and uh, you know you could say maybe he went on to inspire Rock Wilder, who uh, produced some funky beats from Method Man and Red Man. Um, and obviously, uh, there's the Death Squad connection there. Eric Sam is just a legend. And, uh, and if you go and hear them rhyming on an Eric Sermon beat, it's just magic. Like, both of those guys are two of the hardest, uh, dopest uh, lyricists out. So, yeah. yeah. Go so to that's, that's a H-A-R-D. I really like the um, Catching Bodies re- record, which Apollo Brown flipped the uh, 97 mentality. You know, the uh, Cappadonna record. So, X, you'll appreciate that, man. So check it out. Yeah. Joel Ortiz and King Crooked with H-A-R-D. Uh, the best project that drops has to be definitely Freddie Gibbs, hooked up with Alchemist. Freddie Gibbs is now, he's got to be up there in the conversation of yeah. sort of best new rappers. Uh, his projects with Madlib have been, I mean, Madlib is up there, man. He's, you know. Yeah, I was watching today because of all this madness. Sorry, just again, back to the, the connecting points. Um, JD as in Dilla, and Madlib at Jazz Cafe in 2004, when I was there, that I remember that's when I collected my drops off of them. Yo, this is Madlib, yo, this is Jake Dilla. Collected the drops off of them, performing um, Fuck the Police. I found that today on the internet. Oh, yeah, yeah, you put that on one of your songs, that you tweeted that, you was done like a, a playlist for today. And, um... the playlist, I did the Fuck the Police playlist, man. On the count of three, say, fuck the police. One, two, three. Fuck the police. Yeah, those drums, man, that drum break on that record. I've got that on vinyl, actually. That's um, I might have to play that later on, uh, on the old Spotify. Um, so Freddie Gibbs is hooked up with... Alchemist, one of my favourite producers, Alchemist, who's been putting in a lot of work with Griselda. And um, he's got a project with Big Body Bez, who I'm a big fan, who does Fuck That's Delicious with Action Bronson, but I don't know if that's ever dropping. But check out Freddie Gibbs, absolutely smacking it with Alchemist. And it had a nice verse from Tyler, the creator, which I was surprised to see. And Benny the Butcher and Conway the Machine. So, Cal, I know you've been pumping that as well. Yeah, let's not forget Rick Ross, man. Um, oh, the Rick I, I Ross verse. That was a standout verse from Ricky Rose on that do, project. Do you know what I've, I've come to realise? I think Rick Ross has got to maybe start to creep in my top 10, just consistency and just... Mm. M- might not be like the low, not the high end of the top 10, but just just consistently like... Just that luxury rap of... Yeah. All right, he's not saying anything really meaningful, but it just as the total package sounds nice, so... Um, yeah, I mean, for me, um, I think I previously said what I thought was one of the best releases of the year so far was Sky Zoo and Dumbo Station, the Bluest Note EP. Mm. Um, if you haven't heard that one, X, you definitely want to check that out. I know you as a music man, you're going to absolutely love this. I think you were the first one to put me onto Kendrick Lamar back in the day. Very possibly. Um, and um, and I, I've got a feeling as soon as you listen to this, you're going to be like, "Oh, this is my shit right here." You're going to feel it. I know. I heard the Sky Zoo. I heard the Sky Zoo song the other day talking about Brooklyn and how gentrified it's become. And he he he's done this really this really clever play on sort of Brooklyn growing up and how it's become completely gentrified and how the people who once were dismissive of him, dismissive of him and looked down at him and you know people that grew up there are now moving in and it's just a fascinating story of gentrification so check that out that's cool yeah um he talks about that a lot in his music um uh being someone who was from the old brooklyn and, and how much it's changed now um but um yeah so that was my like best project of the year so far nice. and honestly this new alfredo from freddie gibbs and the alchemist 
this this is a strong contender, man. It's a strong contender for you know. Hey, I think it's absolutely outstanding. We know how dope Alchemist is on the beats. We know how dope Gibbs is when he rhymes. But th- when they came together, man, I mean, they worked together before on um, I think was it Fenty with um, Currency. Yeah, that was a dope project as well. But I think this one is just it, like I, I don't know. I think over the years, Alchemist has been getting more and more refined with his production. Like he used to be very raw, but he's 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 perfected that quiet drums kind of technique, and just kind of focused on making these really sinister, atmospheric kind of productions, mm. or sometimes just very kind of soulful with those kind of like acoustic guitars and mm. um, like kind of soft rock kind of kind of samples. He's just flipping absolutely killing the production on this thing and Gibbs has stepped up his technical rhyming as well like he's doing some crazy double time flows and it, it, like, yo seriously I'm going with five pints for this Alfredo project man this is a five pint album right here I won't, I, won't, I won't I won't dispute that I mean I don't on first few listens it's maybe not as musical or strong as the bandana project as the, you know the zebra and the bandana stuff with Madly, but that's the different types of producers. I know Alchemist samples heavy, but in terms of like the musicality, he's maybe not on the same, not on the same, in the same lane as Madly. But this is definitely a five pint affair. Uh, the Joel Ortiz and King Crooked, I'm going to give it a solid four pints. Um, one person I've been listening to, a guy called Hack Baker uh, X. I don't know if you heard of Hack Baker Cow. He's so he's um, he's a guy from Isle of Dogs. Uh, he used to be in Bomb Squad. Do you remember the Grime Crew, Bomb Squad? Mm-hmm. Um, but now he sings. So he, and I think he calls it G-Folk. So Geezer Folk, proper Geezer. Yeah. Um, check him out, Hack Baker. He's got a single called Wobbles and Cobbles. And he had an album called Babylon, uh, which gives you an idea of what he's about. But he's a proper Geezer when you hear about his stuff. And Did he call his listening. album Babylon because he babbles on? <laughs> no, more about... Yeah, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> More, more about anti-establishment, more about anti-establishment. So if you can imagine um, someone who, who promotes that sort of, you know, fuck the police, Babylon, fuck Babylon. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, yeah. Check him out, man. You'd really like him. He's, he's fucking... There you go, Cal. That's the dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, I uh, I checked out the the wobbles and cobbles uh, single after your recommendation, Ben. It's different. It's different. I, I admit, he, he sounds like he sounds like um almost like a Mike Skinner type of um, artist. Well, he's he's on the new Mike Skinner album. Um, okay. And I think Mike Skinner reached out to him. I watched an interview with him on the Shed podcast. Pick up the lads on the Shed podcast. I, I went on a show with them a while ago, but they had him on and. What they talk about is this how important the Isle of Dogs is for them. It's a really weird place, the Isle of Dogs, yeah, if you've ever crazy. been. Crazy. Like, you, you wouldn't need to go there unless you've got family or friends or you're going to Mud Shoot Farm, which is fucking random in itself. It's like yeah. a farm in the middle of the sea. And it, it's overshadowed by the Canary Wharf and the financial district of London. But yeah, it's, it's proper geezer area, proper working class, hard sort of mentality of people who work hard, they graft. And it's a great it's a great interview, but he's a great artist. So definitely check him out. Um something different as well. Not just rap on beer rap and banner, but uh sort of acoustic and he's got some oh lads the song Lads and Conundrum is on there I really like. So big up Hack Baker, uh big up Joel Ortiz and King Crooked and I don't know. I don't I wasn't gonna talk about Flying Lotus because he had an instrumental album. There's about fifty songs on there and I ain't got time for that. So yeah, now, Flamagra came out uh, a minute ago, 
And uh, I think this is the instrumental version to uh, Filmagra. Um, my favorite track from that was the Black, Re Black Balloons Reprise featuring Denzel Curry. Nice. Um, I think you know how I feel about Denzel Curry, man. I love that shit. I know you're a big fan of Denzel Curry as well. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Well, I do believe we've gone well over an hour, which is always nice. So thank you for sticking with us. Cal, uh, uh, how you feeling, brother? I'm feeling great, man. I, I think it's been a great conversation catching up with you, Matt. Um, and uh, I, I didn't know you were so passionate about politics. Maybe we can get you back to talk politics uh, again sometime. All day long. I want to. I'll point you just there towards the book collection. That that's a small bit of it. That's exclusively black politics from the nineteen sixties and seventies. That's just that. That's just black American politics from the sixties and seventies. Gonna grab just grab one at random. Just grab one at random and read the title just for people who listen. Because I know people listen to us all over the world and they just want referencing. What you got there? No, no name, name in the street. James Baldwin. No name James in the street. Baldwin. James Baldwin. James Baldwin, one of, one of our most erudite and articulate thinkers and speakers. Um, where can people reach you on social media or sort of just follow your path? Uh, at Excalibur, based on the, uh, the 1997 spelling, which was heavily influenced by Ghostface Kla, uh, E-X-C-A-L-I-B-A-H. You've got to get that bit in there. Um, I'm at Excalibur on Twitter. I'm at Excalibur on Instagram. Uh, Leave me alone on Facebook. Don't come near me. Oh, I've uh, deleted mine. I've deactivated mine, man. But, um, <laughs> That's for family, you know. It's like this small, it's people I know in the real world. That you care about. <laughs> yeah, people I care about. Like, I can think about. Um, but there was, there was other ones, Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. Yeah, come find me there and we'll talk. Big up, big up, big up. Matthew Zia, a.k.a. DJ Excalibur doing great things in the theatre world. Much love and respect, brother. We've known you for a long time, man. And it's always good to talk to you just on a normal one, but thank you for coming on today's show as we try to provide content for people during this lockdown. Uh, Cal, thank you as always. Give people their flowers and they can smell them as always, providing the audio content and making sure everything runs smoothly. Thank you, Ben. Um, you know, you've, you've done that uh, Dennis Burkamp number 10 role absolutely sublimely, bringing us both into play with the conversation, a, whole skills, you know? That's a football reference there, X. You wouldn't know about football there. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the round one? Yeah, yeah. The round one and the kick, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the kicky one. Yeah, the kicky one. Not, not um, the American one. Not the, nah, not American football, no. That's, although that's all right, but when you've got rugby, you don't need to watch American football. It's Beer Rap and Banner at Beer Rap Bants. Uh, you can check us out on all stream, streaming sites, streaming platforms. Please share, please subscribe, and make sure you stay safe during these tough times. You can hit us up on the socials at Beer Rap Bants, Beer Rap and at gmail.com, myself at IngsLT. Myself at CalSerious. If you know how to spell it, cool. If you don't, well, at Beer Rap Bants is where you can find me. That's it. And uh, have a good week and stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye. Peace. Peace.